Hello. Today I'm drinking a glass of whiskey. Not a full glass, obviously. I'm not uh, uh, <laughs> an alcoholic, I guess. Just a little bit. Just a tiny bit to get me in the mood. To get me in the mood for this episode. I want to go to deeper thoughts, more philosophical. Things that, from time to time, cross my mind. Things that... I want to share with you. It all starts with Pablo Escobar. If you don't know who he is, he is a famous drug dealer, narco-trafficker. He's dead. But you can see a lot about his life on a quite famous TV series called Narcos. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix. The series is really good. I really like it. And one... I first started to watch it. I I was kind of hooked and I'm still. I've rewatched it many times since then. In the first season especially, you kind of see Escobar as an anti-hero. You as the viewer kind of empathize with him. You consider him the hero. And I remember once, the first time I was watching Narcos, I was discussing this with with a group of friends, and there was someone from Colombia there. And she was upset. She said that she didn't like that series because it didn't portray Pablo Escobar as he was, a true cold-blood murderer. Later in the series, you start to see that. You start to see the crazy things he has done. But she said that in the series, they focus too much on the fact that he's a family man. That he treats his family or treated his family really well. Uh, He had one affair, but even when they portray that affair, they show it as a political thing. He actually hooked up with this journalist because he had interests. He wanted her on his side. She was really upset, my friend. She was really upset with that because she said that that's not true. That narcos have this macho culture. The culture that man must be strong. That man must have multiple women. That they must provide for their family and then... They must always be respected. And if people do not respect you for your kindness, for your skills, then they should fear you. That's a very macho culture, isn't it? However, it's not a culture that we are unfamiliar with. I know that uh, society hasn't been, and is still not, is very much, um, I'm going to say, fair to women. That's for sure. There's a lot of things that we can still do. There's a lot of bias. There's a lot of bias growing up as a, as a woman that society, we as a society, still have to overcome. However, there's also a lot of bias around men. Growing up, and I don't know, I don't know if, you, uh, if you're a man, if you have heard that, but... I've heard this multiple times, that men need to protect the family. 
I remember even when uh, my father was not around, people telling me that now I was the man of the family, I had to stay and protect, which makes no sense. I mean, my mom was there. She had much more capabilities of protecting us when I was young. And still, this is what people would just throw around. I don't, I'm not sure. I Well, I'm sure that people wouldn't mean it. I'm sure that people wouldn't say this because they actually knew that I, with 10 years old, was supposed to protect my sister and my mother. But it's just what people say. And when people say this, it kind of grows on you. It grows because everyone around you thinks the same. When you are at school, you need to somehow protect your interests. You cannot show weaknesses. You need always to be something in the group. You can be the funny one. You can be the strong one, the clever one. But you need to find something to fit in. Otherwise, people will uh, put you aside. So we still live in a very chauvinistic society, for sure. I mean, even things that we take it as granted, right? So until, I think this still happens, that men have to actually ask their partners, um, well, when when they're uh, female, I guess, uh, hand in marriage. They have to go to the father and ask for uh, permission to marry their daughter. Hopefully that's changing. I think that's kind of, it's not used anymore. This is changing. I think in my parents' times, this was something that was still happening. But still, today's, in today's days, it's still normal that the man uh, needs to kind of ask the woman for marriage. And it's always still very biased, I believe. And without even noticing, we live in these boundaries, in these societies. I guess that's why people, a lot of people have this kind of anxiety. Social anxiety is sad. Maybe you have it. I sure do. I sure do. I am an extrovert, though. I am a person that gets a lot of strength and energy from others, from being with others, just interacting. But I still have this social anxiety. I still feel that I need to fit in. And this has been one of my biggest challenges, my personal challenges, to try to ignore what society thinks of me, to try to be brave enough to live outside of the society rules and still be okay with it, to feel comfortable. I think that's also probably one of the biggest challenges for indie makers. The moment you quit the job, you know, the job that everyone told you that you need to have the job that is really important for your survival because it will guarantee that you'll pay your bills. Once you put that aside, it starts a complete change in your life, a lifestyle change, really. Suddenly, you live outside of your uh, country rules. There's there's no nothing that can actually protect you, right? So you, you don't have unemployment money, you don't have health insurance in some countries. And 
it also puts you aside of a lot of conversations, right? A lot of our topics of conversations are around work, around what you're doing, complaining about your boss. When you are an entrepreneur, especially in the beginning, you have not a lot to say, right? You're just trying things out and people ask you. And I remember in the beginning, they just didn't understand what I was doing. They were like, okay, Tiago is on holiday at the moment. He's not working. Tiago is in between jobs. And it took a while for people to understand. It took a while for myself to admit that this is my new life. It's crazy. It's becoming now normal, but sometimes I still look back and think, wait, what? I'm not working for others anymore? I'm my own boss? It's weird. Suddenly, you don't have that protection that having an employer gives you. Suddenly, you need to fight for your paycheck. And you need to ensure that you make the right decisions. Otherwise, you might lose it all. There's no protections. At the same time, whilst you are going through all of this and trying to find a product that will pay the bills, life goes on. People around you keep living in the society rules. People get married, get kids, get a mortgage, buy a house, buy a car, travel. They spend money, money that you don't have. But people expect you to have. So definitely that, that's really hard. It's really hard uh, to explain this to others, to explain this to yourself. And I try really hard to, as I said, ignore these society rules. I'm getting much better at it. But yeah, there's still a long way, a long way to go. When uh, Pablo Escobar was making a lot of money, there was a time he was actually in the top five of Forbes. He was like one of the top five most rich person in the world. He didn't stop. He could have. He could have stopped it. I mean, he had all the money he wanted. Why didn't he just took his family? Why didn't he just take his family and go live to some country uh, and just laid low and enjoyed life. He had enough money to buy whatever he wanted. But why did he do that? What is the reason? I guess we go back to this macho culture. Because, you see, if uh, Pablo Escobar had just hanged his boots and said, okay, the life of the criminal is done. I've made my money. I've killed the people, some people, but now it's time just to chill, enjoy it. If he had done that, he would have lost something really important, really important for this alpha culture, the respect or the fear of people around. And I guess that's something that he always wanted. He wanted to be the best, the best in the fucking world. He wanted to be a politician. He actually wanted to be the president of Colombia. He wanted to really rule them all. And that's why it was unthinkable for him to stop. When uh, I decided to do this indie hacking thing, 
I think I told you that my main goal, and this is still true, my main goal was to make enough money to be able to pay my bills and still save a little bit. Like In the end, what I just wanted was the salary, the same salary I was getting as a developer. If I was able to do that with my own projects, I would be really happy. Really, really happy. And I fought for it for one and a half years. I was just working on that and it was not working. It seemed impossible. I felt that I was learning a lot, but I was not achieving what I wanted. But then, you know what happened. Pot squeeze came to be. And from one month to the other, everything changed. Everything changed for my life. Everything changed for the people around me. Everything changed for my co-founder as well. Suddenly, without any notice, we start getting paid. We start getting a product that actually people were willing to pay for. And we went from not being able to pay the bills to being able to pay the bills to actually having savings in the end of the day. All of this in just two months. So now there's a question in the air, right? What shall we do? What should be our next steps? Yesterday, I went to a meetup. My first indie hackers meetup in real life. I've done a lot with the community online. I love those. Actually, one I did today. But yesterday, I did one that is organized by another community, the Raman Club. I've talked about them. It's one of the other big communities for indie makers. Uh, it's managed by a guy, an indie hacker called Charlie. And he was here. He was here in Lisbon just for three or four days. He lives in London, but he was here. And he said, he DM me on Twitter said, Tiago, let's meet up. I said, sure, when are you going to do it? And he actually told me that they were doing this uh, meetup and we should definitely meet. I said, yes. I went there and it was a blast. Really, really fun. I met a lot of other indie makers. I show them my Stripe notifications. <laughs> Everyone laughed because it's a place where I could actually show that and people understand. Whereas when I show this to others, well, they don't really get it, do they? And Matt was there. I don't know if you remember Matt. I interviewed him in the podcast. He's um, one of the hosts of the Something to Startup. Something to Startup is the name. And... Uh, he was here. He's actually here now in Lisbon. And he was there. He actually introduced me to a bunch of cool people. And he was just speaking about Podsquiz to everyone. It was just like, hey, and this is Tiago. He's doing Podsquiz. It's amazing. And he really inflated my ego. And then I was just sharing about Podsquiz. And I was sharing about this, what I'm just telling you now, that I don't know what, what to do, what, what we should do, what should be our goal. There was someone there that uh, she's a CEO of a company in NASA, like, when you reach this point, like, what did you do? What was your the reasoning behind um, your next steps? And she just asked me, well, what do you want to do? Great question, right? What do I want to do? You know, part of me is okay with just making this goal that I told you, just the salary I was making before, starting my indie career and then 
just chill, maybe start some other projects and be able to relax. But the other part of me, I guess the alpha part of me, wants to conquer the fucking world. I just want PodSqueeze to be the go-to tool for every podcaster, you know, the place that everyone, it's obvious for everyone that has a podcast, everyone knows, okay, you need to use PodSqueeze. I want to go into all the markets. I want to grow this company. Part of me wants to do that. But I wonder if this is the right decision. I wonder if this just me somehow following what society says people should do. To always aim for more and more and more. And to be quite honest, that's not what indie hacking is about. Indie hacking is about sustainable growth. It's about happiness. It's about a good balance between your life, your work life, and your personal life. And I still want to do that. So how can we have both? How can we have both? One of one of the ideas I've been having is to bring other people to help us. You see, our product now is quite mature, I believe. Most of the most important features are there. There's quite a lot of things we can still do. Don't get me wrong. But the product is working and it's working well. Which means that our main focus now is marketing. is growing this to every podcaster, to every market. Just for you to understand... Last month, we made around 40,000 minutes or 50,000 minutes only in the English language. Can you guess how many minutes we did for French or Portuguese? 1,500. That's nothing. There's these markets that are completely open for us, but no one has touched them yet. None of our competitors are there, and we need to be the first. So one of the ideas I had was to bring more people to PodSqueeze. To bring people to help us conquer these markets. People that have marketing skills. Skills that Joe and I still do not possess. And to be quite frank, we don't really want to. The work will be writing content. The work will be reaching out to people. Reaching out to influencers doing press releases, whatever it works to share the pot squeeze world. World, no, word. But then there's another issue, which is people do not want to work for free. Crazy, right? But we don't have money to hire all these people, right? And if we want to do so, if you want to pay them, we need to raise money. But raising money takes us out of the bootstrapping path and brings us more close to the VC. Brings a lot of stress. You need to give part of your company away. So what is the indie way? What is the way that we as indie makers can do this and make it scalable? And here is my idea. Tell me what you think. Just share your profits. Joe and I share our profits. We don't know if tomorrow we'll get new clients coming in. We don't know if next month or in a year from now, the company will be up. There's a certain degree of risk, but also great reward. We are building something that is ours and we are getting 
all the money we can. I mean, it seems virtually unlimited. So that's what I pitched to Jean. I told him, hey, let's just try to bring people and tell them that this is their role. They, they need to be entrepreneurs. They need to be partners. They will have full flexibility to do whatever they want to bring Postgres to their market and we give them a percentage of the profit, the profit that this market is making. And it's not a small percentage. We're going to give 50%. 50% is a lot. I'm confident, but this is me, you know, very optimistic. I'm confident that with a little bit of work, people can easily grow the French market, let's say, as an example, from 1,500 to 15,000. 15,000 is quite good already. It will already pay around maybe 2K, 2.5K, which if we share 50-50, this person will get 1,000 something, which is good. I mean, it's not amazing. It's not life-changing money, but this is just the beginning. This is just what we have done in a month or two. If you work for a year, maybe you can make much, much more. But there are risks. There are risks for us, there is for, for Jean and I because we are sharing this. And the idea, what I thought was, okay, every money that comes from that market, we just give it to this person. Doesn't mean that this person is bringing each one of their cli- these clients. Maybe they just wrote a really good blog post and we are just getting these clients passively and this person is being compensated for that. So we are sharing part of our profits. The profits that were really hard for us to gain in the first place because we had to fight a lot to get a product that actually works. At the same time, this person also has risks, right? What if it doesn't work? What if we just kick them out after a month or so? They need to trust us. So naturally, when I pitched this idea to João, he said that no one would go for it. That this idea of joining a company because you love it, because you believe in it, it's bullshit. And I kind of agree. I mean, this is a technique that a lot of companies use to try to bring people and pay them shit paychecks, shit salaries. I don't want to do that, though. I Don't don't get me wrong. I don't want to do that. I want for them to make a lot of money, but at the same time, I feel that this is the indie way. You just share part of your profit. Don't don't keep it all to yourself. You share the profit and you share the risk as well. I've tried to gather some people. Um, I've tried to pitch this idea to Marcella. So the person that interviewed Joe and I for the Spanish-speaking market. So she's from Colombia. Well, not related <laughs> to, the, to the beginning of this podcast anyways. But I don't know. I thought that she had what it takes. She works... Uh, in the podcast industry, she works as a, um, I mean, content media, media creator. She doesn't have a huge reach, but it, it, I felt that she had the, the right vibe and energy. So I pitched this idea to her and she was really nice. And she said, yeah, cool. Yeah, it seems nice. Let's, I'll give me some time to think about it. It's been a week. She didn't reply back. So chances are that she won't. I pitched this idea to other friends, uh, people that I know uh, in the Portuguese market, in the French market. 
no one seems to be interested. No one seems to be ready to jump into this idea. I'm surprised, to be honest. I thought people would be like, wow, amazing. I want to join this because this seems to be a great opportunity. It seems to be a great company and a great idea. I want to collect some, some money from that as well. But I guess uh, people don't see the same way as I do, which makes sense. I mean, to be honest with you, some, someone else telling this to me, would I go for it? I don't know, maybe. Maybe I would need to really be into the company. Maybe I would need to understand. This, these are people that barely know me. They don't know that this company actually has the potential, right? They don't know if Joe and I are just crazy and we'll just use all of their work and kick them out. They don't know us. So, yeah, that's uh, that's been the case. I would love to get your feedback on this. Um, what do you think? Is this a good idea? Is this a, a way to get uh, indie companies to scale up, to just share the profits and get more people into it? And what happens if we decide to sell? Because these people, they are not getting part of the company. They're just getting part of the profits. If uh, we kick them out or if we sell the company, they are left with nothing. Of course, that we can think about other ideas here. Uh, we can always pay them until the end of the month. We Even if they leave, we can, as affiliates do, yeah, have a runway and say, okay, until the end of the month or until the end of the year, you still get the, the profits that the market is giving. We can do that, but that's, again, a risk for us. So a lot of things to think about. I'm comfortable with this solution, uh, obviously, because it's less risk for us. This person that I talked with uh, in this uh, indie meetup, she had a different approach. She said that at some point you need to be comfortable with making these tough decisions. You need to be comfortable with spending money to make money. You need to be comfortable with spending 60k a year to hire a developer or hire someone to work for you. I don't know. Is this the way? I go back to what society thinks. Because people will tell you that things are need, need to be done in a specific way because they don't know that there's another way. They don't trust it. Uh I don't know if this ever happened to you. It happened to me so many times that you ask questions and a lot of people say, no, that's impossible. You cannot do that. But then you do it and then suddenly they're like, hey, how did you do it? I mean, amazing. Nothing is set in stone. No past path is set in stone. You, you can always change it. That's what I've been learning with this whole indie hacking journey. You can just quit your fucking job and, and try to build the company. You can do things differently. You can work for others and then take some year off just to go travel. You can do whatever you want. But you need to somehow be able to accept the consequences. The consequences that you'll be judged. That people won't understand you. Because you are living outside of the society rules. How... Should I and Joan work today together? That's another thing that I'm always thinking about. You know, there's always one CEO. In any company, there's only one CEO. Then there's CTOs, there's other C-levels. There's only C one CEO, there's only one leader. Does this make sense? 
I mean, we are just two people, so maybe I'm just um, going a bit too much. Uh, what what is the word here? Putting the horses in front of a car. I don't know a car in front of the horses. I don't know. Maybe this is just a Portuguese um, expression, but sometimes we get to this point where he wants to do something and I want to do something. We have different views. How should we decide what should be the next steps, right? Uh, We have no CEO. None of us is. Like, we are both leaders. We are both kind of uh, sailing this vessel together. We are both at the helm. Sure, there are certain things that I take decisions, like technical side. Uh, design part is with him, right? But the decision on shall we invest on this or shall we make big leaps, there's no one that is making this decision, right? There's no alpha. <laughs> Do we need to have one alpha? I don't know. I feel that being alpha, being this, uh, like this culture is... It's stupid in a way, isn't it? So many times people got into trouble because they couldn't just let go. You are walking down the street. Someone pushes you. Someone says something to you, complains about something you did, whatever. You can just ignore it. Nothing will ever happen. You'll just continue with your life, forget about it, and be happy. But a lot of people, they will just want to answer back. They want to fight back. And sometimes that will cause fights. That will cause stress. A lot of things that you don't need in your life. But why do we do this? Because we cannot let go. So one exercise I've been trying to do, and it's been hard. I have to be honest. It's been really hard. Is not letting these things affect me. Sure, they, they will affect me in the moment, right? If someone comes to you and they are rude to you, for instance, if they say something you think is unfair, if they criticize your way of living, in that moment, you'll feel uncomfortable. You feel that you want to say something or you feel bad about yourself, about your living situation, whatever. That will happen. But then you can choose to ignore it. You can choose to just let it go, put it aside, and never think about that again. That's something that I've been trying to do. That's an exercise that I've been trying, a muscle, if you may, that I've been trying to strength. Strengthen? I don't know, what do you say this? To work on? Whatever. And yeah, it helps me. It really helps me to live like this. It makes me more stress-free, happier, and uh, able to live life in my own terms. I want to finish this episode in a different way. I want to finish it with Frank Sinatra's song. At least I will read it as a poem. It's called My Way. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I will say it clear, I will state my case of which I am certain. I have lived a life that is full. I traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets? I have had a few, but then again, too few to mention. 
I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I am sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall. I did it my way. I've loved, I've lost, and I cry. I've had my fill, my share of losing, and now, as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. To think I did all that, and may I say, not a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me, I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Thank you and see you next week. <laughs>